This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. I couldn't find any guests, so I had to go <laughs> to the bottom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm lucky to have not only as a guest, but also a friend, Sean Tipping, the owner of ST Mobile Diagnostics and Programming. Yes, sir. He is not only a mobile tech and a former college instructor, but he is also the host of another podcast, the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. He started up, that's got to be a few years ago now. Yeah, we're coming up on three years in January. That's crazy. Time flies. I thought you'd be better at that than now. <laughs> yeah, me too, right? <laughs> you, put, you put in all this time, you put in all this effort, and you don't see any results. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here to represent the bottom of the barrel. We have fun down there. so I'm, I'm right there with you, <laughs> probably propping you up. Yeah, th- uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, always, always good to talk, whether it's recorded or not. I guess the really only difference is there's more curse words when we're not recording. Otherwise, we pretty much have the same talks, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I would like to get a cough button. Um, <laughs> well, I'm busy thanking you. I want to quick take a second here to thank I sponsor Napa Auto Care. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you are a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. Speaking of Napa, I got to give somebody a shout out here. Um, he listened to our previous podcasts on my show and we brought up parts and parts quality and we talked about Napa and Dorman and stuff. Um, it is uh, Colton Weedman. On, he reached out to me on Facebook. He is a area manager for Napa in Illinois and we had a great conversation just through Facebook Messenger. He was kind of giving his take on you know how they deal with parts, trying to, you know, supply the parts stores with what's going to sell in a particular area and stuff like that. But, um, some really interesting stuff. So, um, if he's listening to this show too, I appreciate you reaching out and giving me the, the inside scoop on that. It's always interesting to hear. There's a couple podcasts that you could probably hop on and plead your case. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the other day you kind of called with a very interesting observation. So I guess I'll just kick it right over to you. Okay. So the other day uh, I went to a shop um, that I go to pretty frequently. So I know the owner, I know the technicians that work there. They called me for a diagnosis for no start on an F-150 in which they just replaced the engine. So they just popped this in and it just didn't start right off the bat. Okay. And they had identified that there was an issue with the crank sensor. I believe it was the code that they got or I don't know, maybe they saw RPM on the scanner. It doesn't really matter. They knew there was an issue with the crank sensor. So, and they weren't able, I think they put a sensor in it, you know, did what they try. They were able to attempt and they didn't get anywhere with it. So call me, come check it out. Let us know what we need to do. Is it wrong engine or is there a wire or whatever? So I walk in and the engine is sitting next to the truck that they took out. Right. So it's on the, 
floor next to the truck and the truck's there in the bay on the hoist. And so it was right there. So I go to the truck, I plug in, verify, okay, it cranks. There's no RPM on the scanner. There's a code for crank sensor inputs. All right. And I just glance over at the engine that's sitting on the ground and on the back side of it, the, where the flywheel bolts to, you have the tone wheel that is between the end of the crankshaft and where the flex plate would be for the transmission, right? Where you would bolt that on. And that's, it's like a shim almost, but it has the teeth on it for the crank sensor. And the crank sensor goes in the bell housing area and reads these teeth to determine the speed and position of the crank, right? Well, the tone wheel is there on the back of the engine that's on the ground, not, not the one that's in the truck, but I see it, the one that's sitting there on the ground, this tone wheel. At the time I was at the shop, the owner... He was the only one there. There might have been a loop tech, but the technician working on the truck was not there at the time I was, but the owner was. And so I just asked him, I I grabbed the tone wheel right off the back. I'm like, do you know if he for sure put this back in? Do you have any idea? And he's like, there's no way he forgot that. There's no way he forgot that. Like, All right, that's cool, man. I'm just asking. I'll check it out. So I proceed on, but this is the first thing that I want to look at just because I've seen it before, right? I've seen people forget this or maybe even be wrong. I've seen it where it's the wrong one because they put in a different engine. And the fact that this one was still like in its slots on the back of that crank, I felt like when I grabbed it off that it hadn't been moved off, right? It just, you could kind of feel when things are still kind of pressed together it has like a little pin that it kind of sits in so you can only put it on one way it just felt like oh, this thing hasn't been off of here yet there's a access for the crank sensor on the driver's side of the bell housing pull a little cover off they had been in there already and i just have a little 40 dollars boroscope that i have with me for quick stuff I have, I have one of those nice articulating ones which is badass you got to get one of those if you don't have it it's so cool but this is just my quick one I stick my boroscope up in there and I can see the flex plate and I can see the crank seal. And based on how this one's set up, you shouldn't be able to see that. The tone wheel actually goes over where the crank seal, the rear main would be. And you, you should not be able to see that rear main from where I'm looking with the boroscope. But you should see a tone wheel, basically. And it's not there. So, okay. So I know... I know where we're at here and I show the owner and explain that to him. He's pissed. You know, obviously they got to yank this engine back out and put this thing back on. And you know, this technician forgot it and understandably so like that sucks. I, I hate giving bad news like that. Cause I, I've been there. I, I know I've forgotten stupid stuff and having, having to do a job over. That's no fun. He was actually more upset that the guy is working on this. He's a good tech. He knows what he's doing, but he does, mess stuff up you know on a semi-regular basis to the point where it costs the shop some money and he doesn't really care when he messes something up like this it's basically just oops sorry and moves on with his day and he's like this guy is just not really going to care that he messed this up he's got to pull the engine out and he was asking me he's like what what do other shops do in situations like this and i asked him first i was like well how's this guy getting paid because that was my my first thought, just based on my experience as a tech. And he says paid hourly. And that they've discussed the idea of flat rate, but he doesn't want to go on flat rate. And I was like, my my gut reaction was like, well, flat rate will fix this real quick. Right. This will solve your problem very fast. Because then he's got to eat it, right? He's got he's not gonna get paid 
the time to pull that engine back out, put this thing back on, as opposed to hourly, he'll just go about his day the next day and he'll get paid to do that job again, essentially, when the shop's missing out on, you know, potential income. He's just kind of okay with this technician's just kind of okay with it, that there's really no motivation to go that extra effort to really care about, you know, what the ultimate output of the shop is. And he also mentioned that I would push harder on these guys, but the limitation is the, the status of the technician world right now, where you can't find someone to replace somebody who is competent or competent enough to put an engine in a truck, right? Like you can't just go find somebody that can do that. Mistakes withstanding, like it's tough to find somebody who can do this technician high level work. And the owner knows it. The technician knows it. He got some leverage there to just be like, no, I'll just stay on hourly. I'm good where I'm at. Right. So anyways, the reason I called you is because I didn't really have a good answer for this guy other than, you know, a flat rate pay system. And probably because that's how it was when I was a tech. But where I'm going with all this is getting some skin in the game, you know, for a technician or an employee of any kind, really. <laughs> we, we could expand outside the automotive field, but maybe we just stick with that one. But just, you know, to give to give a crap about your job. Um, what do you, what are some, you know, alternate methods? What are some things that you could recommend to somebody like this that's in this position? Cause I know he's not the only guy that's experiencing this right now, you know, beyond just flat rate, because you know, that's been, that's been talked to death, of course, and the, the downsides to it. I mean, let's just step back a little bit from a technician's perspective. We, a lot of people despise flat rate. And I probably shouldn't even be talking about it because I've never worked flat rate. But I know a lot of people that have. A few of them loved it. I enjoyed it quite a bit, like when I was making a lot of money. (laughs) But that was the thing as they worked at a shop that that was the system. The vast majority of them, it was a small shop. So management was the owner. But even the ones that were a little bit larger, management took the time to make that system work. Yes, you were on flat rate, but they also took it upon themselves to keep you busy, keep those bays full, you know, work to sell the inspections or findings. Flat rate wasn't really there to take advantage of the technician and leverage that against them. Uh, And it wasn't set there purely to set their gross profit goal on labor the gross profit margin. I think a lot of shop owners, if they start attending 20 groups or they bring in coaches or they bring in, go to management classes, like there's a big attraction to flat rate because it immediately hard sets your gross profit on labor margin. You want to make 70%? Boom, done. That's an attraction to it. And then there's that built-in kind of inherent motivation to get the work done quickly and avoid comebacks because if it's a comeback and it's on you, again, we're talking about a properly run flat rate system. I don't want to talk about the ones that are broken because then all we're going to do is talk about for the rest of the evening how broken flat rate is. But in a properly run flat rate system, if it is the tech's fault, they're probably working on it for free. And that's a deterrent from cruddy work. Of course, we all know that many of the flat rate systems out there did not really care if it came back as your fault anyways, whether it was a part failure or not, or you're up there battling to get paid. 
that's where it falls apart. And there's so many things that was just, it was so mishandled and so poorly run by so many that, you know, it's got a really bad name for itself. And I'm not a fan of it. I, I don't find it all that intriguing, except in very specific type of labor operations. You know, you start adding, you know, where people need to start using cognitive reasoning and stuff like that. It starts to break down. Like, and that's, it's proven. And I know everybody knows somebody or they are somebody that just, they're on flat rate and they have to diagnose and they kick ass and I get it, but you might be an outlier. The other thing is, I just think we're suffering from first world problems. Years ago, like an honest day is pay for an honest day is work. I think that was true. I think people believed it and it probably swayed in favor of business owners and managers. You're talking about maybe post-depression era people that had starved. Like they knew what it was like to have nothing. So just to have a job was really important. It was a big deal. And I just think people felt more obligated to provide that. Like I said, honest days work for an honest day's pay. Over time, that entitlement type of mentality starts taking over. And we see it everywhere. It's not just auto repair, but we see it everywhere. And I would never argue with anybody what their time is worth, right? Because time is kind of priceless. It really is. That falls apart from an economic standpoint. So there we sit. Now we're, we've negotiated how much you're going to sell me this amount of time per day, per week. And now I am paying you in exchange for this. But I just don't know if that mentality is there anymore. I'm just thinking to myself, like if it's five o'clock, the hardware store closes at five. So you punch out at five, hop in your vehicle and you're and the front door of the hardware store knocking on the door because you need something. If the owner was there and especially like just for this example, employees, if they saw you knocking, they'd kind of walk up to the door and like, what can I help you with? Like if it's going to be a big deal, it's like, eh, come back tomorrow. But if it's like, I just need this, they would probably open the door shut it behind you, help you out. Nowadays, they won't even look at the door. And in some cases, it's the owners too. And I get it. Your hours are your hours and all that. I'm not trying to like really just bad mouth people, but I think these we have all these symptoms, what we deserve. Now, I don't want to get too far off, but there's something Bill Nalu said to me one time in conversation that just really hits home, almost to the point where it hurt. And he was it was not aimed at me. It was not like a... I got to level with you, Matt. And if he if he was, he did it really well. But it was, you don't deserve what you want. You deserve what you have. We could probably do an episode just on that because you start thinking about all the dynamics that explode out of that statement. Starts to play into what I think you're talking about here where we have certain employees and I don't, I would guess I would never throw out a percentage of them, but unfortunately, I think it's rather large that do not buy into the system, do not buy into improving uh, you know, the, the business or doing right by the business. It's what can the business do for me? And to me, we have this uh, situation now where things are so skewed. The power has shifted so much to the employee, especially the skilled trades employee. The, the shop owner managers are almost over the barrel. Like, what do I do? That's exactly where this guy's at, where he's like, I, I don't know how much I can lay down the hammer because 
you know, I can't can't find somebody to replace this guy and he knows it. And two ideas I have is one, find somebody else. You know, while they're still there, you bring in somebody else that they can look over and say like, oh, I'm not unexpendable, I should say, or I, I've just become replaceable because they're right over there. The other thing is, and I don't, I'm, it's something I've been kicking around more so. So I don't want to say it like, oh, here's the answer. Kind of a um, variation, at least, of golden handcuffs, especially for the um, the talent or the individuals we definitely want to keep. We have to work to make it where it would hurt to leave, be it income, benefits, fringe benefits, like thoughtful, maybe more thoughtful benefits, days off or you know stuff like that. Work environment. The work environment is so good. Like the idea like of losing this job actually hurts. Like I really don't want to lose this job because maybe I could replace the income. Maybe, but I'm, it's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as smooth, you know, maybe and people aren't looking for so much fun at work, but maybe they just want smooth operation. Like this place flows nice and uh, whatever that is. I don't know if you can just motivate somebody that's unmotivated to do good work. I just, I don't know. I don't know that you can do it. It's, I'm trying to think of just in general, whether it's in a repair shop or other profession or sports where you've had an unmotivated player that you could change things and they come out and they're rah, 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 go team. At some point, they have to be intrinsically motivated. If you want the real potential output that that person has to give, they have to want to do it. That's that's the only way. Not to go back to flat rate, but that was the carrot for and is for a lot of people. It was for me when I was a tech, right? That's the reason... I'd stay late for that, you know, extra three hour ticket, you know, slap on the end of my check where honestly, if you know, if I'm hourly, eh, I'll do it tomorrow. So uh, obviously that's why it's so popular. That's why it's so used. But yeah, how do you build that into a culture, into a shop, into a job and, and get people to, you know, buy into it? Or maybe it, it does that by itself. If you can construct it properly, we worked with a lot at the college too for the program at the school, right? Because you know, obviously the kids are there to learn and you would think everybody is excited to be there to learn and they want to be there. That's definitely not the case, especially with the, you know, younger guys. They're just, which is odd because unlike high school, they're paying to be there now or someone is paying for them. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. It wasn't just as easy as here's your assignment, you need to put in your best effort. That didn't work. You have to get them to buy in somehow rather than just telling them you got to do this and here's here's the goal, just do it. You have to do it if you want to get an A. That didn't work. And I, I saw that kind of flounder within my pro, my part of the program and the other part of the program. So we really worked on you know a few things and by no means perfected it, but really trying to make it something that you can buy into and enjoy being there, but also, you know, want to be there for a reason to accomplish something, to get to a goal, um, rather than just being told that you have to do it. That was kind of the, the method that we wanted to take to help 
get them, get the most out of everybody for themselves. Of course, that's, you know, that's why they're there is to improve their education, but at a job, it's not that different, right? Like, yeah, you want to get, you want to get paid, you want to get a good income, but a job can actually really enrich you as a person. If you're dedicated to it and you invest yourself into it um, and getting better at that job. But yeah, the only way that's going to happen is if you're motivated to do it. But going back to what you say, like taking somebody who's just like, oh, okay, whatever. That's, that is a tough ship to steer around (laughs) to change it to the other direction. It's not going to be a snap of your fingers or an overnight thing to make that change. Napa Auto Care was top rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the chains and independent repair shops category. Ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit. Napa Auto Care has the largest network of independent professional shops in North America with over 17,000 locations. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing with the already successful Know How for All campaign, which promotes auto care center-specific offerings. You get support to promote your local repair facility with targeted media and local markets and improving channels. Utilize a full calendar year of promotions with Napa Auto Care Sales Driver promotions that are 100% fully funded by Napa. This includes free email marketing, digital and print point-of-sale materials. Connect to their national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the already nationally recognized Napa brand. Partner with Napa SmartSign to educate customers with engaging videos that tell the why behind a needed repair or service. You can access and edit digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Offer a credit solution to customers with Napa EasyPay consumer financing. Stay top of mind with your business's name embossed on the credit card. Have an online presence when consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. If you are interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa Know-How for All national marketing campaign, contact your salesperson or servicing Napa Auto Care parts store. And my guess is if we go back to kind of that post-depression era and even the depression era, every generation uh, in the eyes of the older generation, every, you know, as we go through generations, each one will be deemed lazier and more entitled than the last but i think it's probably true <laughs> uh-huh. well because life gets easier i mean there's obviously arguments to that but life gets easier as time progresses with technology and everything else so yeah it, it's just a natural progression right um what's the the disney movie with the robot wally <laughs> it's like far out in the future. Um, you know how easy everything's gotten and nobody has to walk anymore. And all that well, stuff. we joke around now. Idiocracy has come true. <laughs> yeah. Wally's next. <laughs> exactly. You, you want to control what you can control. And speed, speed is a lot of things. Like I just find that there's a lot of things going on when you talk about speed, like how quickly you can do something. 
And some of it's repetition. Some of it's that spatial, I think, spatial recognition that you can kind of picture this in your mind and therefore you work through it faster. And not everybody has that. So some of the fastest people, I think, can kind of picture everything in their heads and they just boom, go. So maybe the way I, you know, I'm not saying I'm any good at it, but maybe the way I picture how systems work together to figure out what's broken, they're doing it and how these systems go together or how these components go together to work. They can do that very robotically. It doesn't look like they're moving that fast, you know, watching them, you know, pull a motor and it's supposed, you know, maybe the labor time guide says it's supposed to be an eight hour job, but they're test driving it shortly after lunch. I think there's a lot of people that can do that. And maybe it's because they've done 12 of them, but maybe some people are just inherently quick at it because they kind of, have that image or whatever in their heads of uh, how it kind of goes together, what I got to do next. And then a little bit of that not messing around attitude, like the the economy of emotion, the economy of thinking. There's only so much of that you can control. Like you can become fast. You're going to have to work at it. But your quality of work, your pride in workmanship, that's not something you have to work to develop. Like if you have to, that's because it's broken. You can really choose to care. So the flywheel, or I shouldn't even say the flywheel so much, but the reluctor example, the reluctor technician. Some techs, when they found out that they made that mistake, would have been almost on the verge of tears. You know, I'm not trying to say they should be pansies about it or anything like that, but it would so hurt their pride and such a shot to their ego that they could have been so absent-minded. It turns things. Now owners or managers aren't over there going like, Okay, um, you want to explain yourself? They're actually over there consoling them like, hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You don't make that many mistakes. It's okay. I'm trying to remember the last mistake you made and I'm struggling. So take it easy. It's, it's okay. I'm glad we found it. It's something we can fix. 100% me as a technician, well, still is, you know, in a situation like that, and I've been there plenty of times, I am so much harder on myself than any employer has ever been for something like that. I don't know exactly where that comes from. If it's like just ego in some cases where I got to be super tech. And if I'm not, it just, you know, shatters my, <laughs> if I make a mistake, it shatters my fragile ego about that or what that is. But I've, I've always been that way. And I, I think I've, I think I've improved as the years went by, but man, yeah, I remember some some mess ups, some screw ups that would just ruin the whole next day for me because I did something really stupid. Even even if the cost wasn't that much to me or to the shop, just that it was really boneheaded and dumb. It would I would just really that would eat at me. I'm definitely not saying everybody should be that way, but it does motivate you to try to avoid that in the future. <laughs> I would agree with you if I made a mistake, if I made a misdiagnosis, if I missed something that I felt I should have caught. You know, I try very hard to be honest with myself. Was it reasonable? Was it really reasonable that you were going to be able to see this? And sometimes the answer is no. You got to cut yourself a little bit of slack. And I try to be honest, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, you're the easiest person to lie to. You know, it's really easy to lie to yourself. So I try very hard not to. And then once it's determined that, yeah, you, you should have seen that, you should have got that, you should have known that. You should have known you were going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's a sleepless night. I don't. I probably don't sleep that night. Stare at the ceiling and just over and over in my head. And I'm not saying to do that either. 
I would never imply that that is, you know, if somebody would grade me a certain level at what I do, I would never imply that that's one of the reasons why. It's probably a waste. It's probably does, did more damage or more harm than good. But I also don't think you just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, I'll get it next time. Dismissiveness, I don't think is healthy either. I think it should sting a little bit. And you should, even if you have to act a little bit, meaning I think some people do not emote, especially guys, don't emote their inner feelings. Maybe that screw up crushes you inside, but you kind of no sell it to everybody. They don't notice it. So they're looking at you like, do you even care? Would it hurt you to, you know, look, have a little dejected look? Like, geez. Yeah. If you are really kind of dejected, maybe make a point of emoting it a little bit. Maybe at a break, poke your head in the office and just kind of apologize. I think there's some things without being overly dramatic. And I don't want it to be an act. I don't want you to be putting on a freaking, you know, trying to get an Oscar for showing how much you care and you really don't. If you don't care, I mean, I don't know. The only advice I got for you is to go find something to do that you care about. I think that's very good advice for sure. (laughs) If you agreed to take a position or a job, you should probably care about it. If only out of pride from accepting the job, like I've kind of signed a contract. You've agreed to sell your time to do something. You should take some pride in doing that as best you can. And if you just don't care, do everybody a favor and go away. Well, it's a, it's a big favor to yourself too. I've been there. I think most people have in a job that you genuinely don't <laughs> care about or don't like. And it sucks. That is a really rough way to wake up every day and get go do something that you really just could not care less about. I mean, if you like the paycheck, I think you can find some pride. You maybe just aren't aware of it. You know, you may be telling yourself you don't care, but then you start thinking about it. Like, you know, I like my drive time. Uh, The paycheck's pretty good. I'm pretty good at this. Okay. Maybe I care more than I'm letting on. Again, lying to yourself is super easy. Maybe I'm lying to myself a little bit. Maybe I care about this a little bit more. I think I got to step it up a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that's where the, some of those intangibles come in for a lot of people too. There's only a certain percentage of people in this field that are going to take the time to listen to podcasts or watch YouTube channels, right? And then there's a percentage that doesn't care to watch any of that stuff. And that's totally fine. And they're probably doing a great job too, but they don't care about that aspect or, you know, of bettering yourself in the technical side of things, but maybe they do care about some of the other stuff that you're talking about, like morale around the shop and you know, paycheck, of course, right? The pay is good, but um, having weekends off or being close to home or being able to take a day off to spend with their family if they need to, or doing a, like a team outing. I remember when we were at Firestone, when I first started, they do stuff like that. They had like a Christmas party. They take a state fair as like a, as a store and all this stuff. And for whatever reason, you know, stuff gets caught at a corporate level and they like chopped all that stuff out and the job itself didn't change at all. Like we're still fixing the same cars. We're still doing the same thing in the shop every day, but it just, it dropped the morale, at least in the store I was at. There's a lot of traditions that are just kind of falling. You know, I get it. Like, I think, I guess I'm thinking a lot about Christmas parties. You know, the first few shops I worked for, the Christmas party was a big deal. Like everybody looked forward to the Christmas party. 
and to the point of getting, you know, giddy. Granted, you know, first few shops I worked at, I was much younger. So yeah, probably much more prone to being giddy. But it seemed like shop wide, like even the shop owner himself who knew he was going to be spending a fair bit of money was excited about it. And it may only be, you know, quote unquote only going to a really, again, quote unquote, fancy restaurant, a nice restaurant. And you get to bring your uh, significant other with and order whatever you want on the menu. And then some of them we'd go back to, um, you know, like a bar that had pool tables and darts and dart boards and foosball and all that. And then it was, you know, the boss running around filling the pool table up and then, you know, taking on cha- all challengers or winner keeps the table, stuff like that. And, and then, of course, whatever gifts and it was just a lot of fun and just hanging out and not talking about the shop and one was go-kart racing, uh, stuff like that. It's, I don't hear about people doing that as much anymore. I, it's just, I think I hear about it more at like a, um, I don't know if it's a corporate level or, you know, big tech companies and stuff like doing that, but in the blue collar world, or at least, I mean, obviously I know the automotive world. Yeah. You don't hear about that sort of thing happening very often. The reason I talk about it is because you're talking about like the morale and I think it was a big morale booster. I think it ends up being, you know, unwittingly or not a morale booster, a team building exercise. That's what it ultimately kind of ends up being. I guess I'm not pointing the finger at management so much where it could be everybody involved. Just like, yeah, you know, I, I think I'd just rather you give me the money and, you know, instead of going out with you guys, I'm going to go shopping, Christmas shopping. or. And so I think that, factors in too. I I guess I don't mean it to be finger pointing. I think it's kind of collective that some of these traditions uh, viewed maybe over simplistically ended up having a far greater effect on overall culture than we gave credit to. I think it's definitely more um, powerful than you think it would be just a you know small period of time can affect the next six months at work. The way I kind of look at it is like going to a training event, right? Like all of us, most of us have experienced going to a training event, spending three, four days somewhere with your peers, and then you are fired up for the next weeks to months after when you come back just from three, four days, right? And you know, that, that could be said the same things we're talking about there. When you start as a leader, showing that you legitimately care, not only on their work performance, but also their work environment and their home, you know, outside of work life, that you genuinely care about them. It's really, really hard as being the person receiving that, you know, type of interest, that type of care to not reciprocate. So it's it's just an idea, you know, again, I'm not pointing my fingers. I'm not saying like, hey, you got a bunch of employees running around that really don't give a rip about performance or quality or anything like that is because you're not showing them that you care. I'm not implying that. It may be the case. Only you can really tell, you know, but I would still urge anyone. If you've signed on to work somewhere, you're accepting that paycheck at the negotiation, when they hired you, everyone kind of knows what's expected. And it's probably not crap work, you know, at your slowest pace. You know, it's probably the best work you can do, the most uh, productively you can do it for whatever wages. And now you agreed to that. You got to live up to it. And if you want more money, there's an adult way to handle that. 
and it's go in and ask for some more and kind of know your numbers and, you know, do you really deserve it? I don't think, you know, mailing it in is the way to try to get more money. (laughs) Right. And that would be one of the many things that would be on my mind in that situation is, yeah, how am I going to increase my, my wage or even my position, depending on where I'm at, if that's the sort of thing that happens you know, on a regular basis. I want to avoid that as much as possible to have as much leverage to ask. And uh, that, I don't know, maybe that goes back to the, the whole technician shortage thing. Try as hard as you can to remove as much of your bias as you can. It's hard. It's so hard. Try. Look at it as an equation where the end result is your income and try to look at the, you know, if you want that number to go up, you have to look at what contributes to that number. And some of that is in within your control. Some of it may not be. And the stuff that may not be, there's probably, again, a mature way to bring that up to say, hey, you know, I would, you know, I think we can justify more. I think I could justify more money, but I can only work so fast. The system is broken. It doesn't, maybe not broken, but the system is restricting in a way that kind of governs how much I can produce. Therefore, it's kind of this, cap. What can we do to the the system? And I think I have some ideas and you have to go in with an open mind too. Hopefully they have an open mind. And I guess it comes down to something when you called me about this, I had said where it's very frustrating for me to listen to where it's, I thought we were on the same team. I, I guess I thought we were all trying to accomplish the same thing. And that was make good livings, you know, make what, you know, I, I didn't want to say just let's make as much money as possible, but let's, I want to make enough money. I'm going to leave that open. I don't know what enough money is for certain people. I'm not even sure I know what enough money is for me because I have a good, dang good ability to spend it. But I also want to be able to work somewhere pleasant to work at, you know, well lit, warm in the winter, cool in the summer, you know, and I also want a certain environment where it's just not turn and burn. I'd rather not feel like I'm, you know, people are cracking whips either. But I also know we have to produce. And so I don't understand why everyone isn't kind of working together to accomplish that, all of it. So the employee doing its best, their best to do whatever their tasks to do as best they can to maximize or you know, make the most ethical profit they can. And then ownership doing their best to take care of every, you know, taking care of their employees, wages, benefits, compensation, work environment. Everything goes up. Everything should go up. Like if the profitability keeps going up, then everything else should be going up along with, you know, compensation packages, work environment. It should all get better. Too often, I think, you know, employees, again, we talked about that entitlement thing. I think we covered that. And I think on the other hand, too, to go on the other side of the equation, if we will, I think sometimes ownership gets caught in a trap of they have an idea of what everyone else is making in the profession and the other shops. They know shop B, C, D, and E. Their very best technicians are all pulling on you know fifty G's, and they're paying you fifty two G's. There's not a lot of pressure to pay you more, and yet. You know, everybody's working to be more profitable, more profitable, more profitable. And I'm not trying to imply that that it's just so simple. You know, there is cost of doing business and all that. But let's just assume for the sake of discussion that profitability keeps going up, up and up and up. Everybody's working together. I, I then think 
ownership can't rest on its laurels and that comfort of knowing everybody's kind of in the the same range. You're in a good range. That's about what techs make around here. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. You're making more than them. What are you complaining about? I, I think that's a bad move. Uh, I think then at some point you start saying, well, I'm going to set the new precedence. All those guys are pulling down 50 Gs. Well, that's their best techs. You know, my medium tech, whatever that is, he's pulling down that much. My best tech, he's pulling down, you know, 20 more. While still, you know, the owner should be making money and being able to do, you know, maybe it's not just compensation. Maybe it's, okay, we're going to, you know, air condition the shop, forego the uh, epoxy coated floors and we're going to be like Seth and we're going to put tile in. (laughs) Stuff like that. You know, upgrading equipment. You know, these hoists are 15 years old. Yeah, they work, but the new ones go up and down faster. Or make it easier to lift these types of vehicles. Like they're just so much better. Upgrade, upgrade. Or just having equipment that you may not find, uh, you know, at another shop. That's powertrain tables. You know, like that's the new thing. So many jobs require you drop the engine transmission at the same time. Why not have equipment there that allows one person to do it instead of jack stands or four tires or <laughs> jack stands and wood blocks and yep been there a couple of regular hand jacks and one guy can yes okay they can lower it themselves most likely but when it comes time to going together it's usually like three of us over there like eh, it's looking good over here no we got to come forward an inch and where the powertrain table it's just one person it was your analogy that I don't, one of your previous episodes, you mentioned the you know, organism, right? That's a good way to look at it. Employee or employer side is, yeah, we're all in this together. And if your leg decided to stop doing anything, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for the whole unit. Um, it's much, it behooves that leg to keep stepping forward, right? To help everybody. And that's kind of the way you got to look at it, right? Uh, if you're part of an organization and you believe that, you know, it's going somewhere, it's somewhere you can stay, you know, why not do your best? Because it's only going to make that place better, which is better for you in turn. Yeah. And, and from a management standpoint, not that you're ever going to hit the point where all the obstacles are removed, but the general idea is to try to remove obstacles from somebody per, that prevents them or throttles or governs the uh, amount of quality or, or the height of quality or the um, amount of production they can do. Also, what prevents them from uh, some joy in work. And again, I don't mean like, you know, just rah, 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 running around the sh- uh, shop with a big smile on your face. You're just so darn happy. I just mean the, a certain satisfaction from being at work and succeeding. Management really one of their primary tasks is to find and remove these obstacles that prevent that. Not that you would ever actually hit the point where you're looking around going like, we're obstacle free. There's always something that could be improved, even if it's slight, you know, and that maybe what happens over time is now the improvements are much more slight. They don't make quite as big of a difference, but they're there and they add up. At some point, you're doing your best to remove obstacles and make this as well-performing an organism as you can, as healthy of an organism as you can, you're left with, I just can't have this. Either I've failed them or they failed me, and I'm not sure which it is. And if I failed them, I will. I have to apologize. And maybe that's, that's part of the dispatch conversation is I have failed you. I have failed to motivate you. I don't know how to do it. 
And maybe that's true. I'm not even trying to make that sound sarcastic. I think I may have failed you. For those reasons, I'm out. It's like Shark Tank. But either they're just not going to buy into it and they don't care enough to try. You just have to part ways. And, you know, maybe in retrospect, you will figure out like, oh, yeah, I dropped the ball. Yeah, I think I gave up some talent and it was my fault. I mean, it's a good lesson. It sucks. There's a lot of people you hear about. They let they let go of that person and it was the best thing they ever did. Yeah, they find that the next person like, oh, OK, <laughs> this, is, this is where it's at. Almost a sigh of relief. Like, oh, it wasn't me. Uh-huh. It wasn't the system. Our system isn't that screwed up. All right. Oh, a bit of a relief. Yeah. Well, I imagine as an owner, if you are yeah, the owner, the manager, you probably do take a lot of that personally because it is you, right? The business is you. Absolutely had sleepless nights, especially with like entry level. I just do not feel our shop is properly set up to cultivate fresh talent, green talent. I just, there's a couple of them. I think we let them down. I don't know if they had to turn out to be superstars or not. Maybe, maybe not. I just don't feel like we even gave them a chance. Uh, it was too much sink or swim and they sunk. I, I'd love to have that back, but also at the time, even now it's, I don't know if I have the time to get that set up the way I have imagined in my head how it should be. I think all the stuff we've been talking about is somebody who is at least somewhat experienced uh, per, you know, professional technician. But yeah, for somebody new, uh, it takes on even more challenges to try to get them motivated and, and want to succeed. But uh, unfortunately, that's what we got to do in this industry you <laughs> get those new people on board. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff out there with fairly complex payment plans or compensation plans that take into account so many different things, so many different layers in an attempt to motivate you. You know, and I, I think the logic behind it is that you're supposed to uh, compensate people based on what you, what you desire. So if you want pure production, if you really don't care about anything else. I need you to turn hours. Uh, then a, a real straight flat rate is pretty hard to beat with some big bonuses as those hours start going up. Right. I mean, that would be, you know, very little punishment for comebacks, a lot of reward for getting those hours out. That would be the pay structure. That would be you're motivating people through the pay structure to get what you want. And I don't know anyone that would really want that, but certain level of it. Yeah. You know, employees have to take into account that they need a certain amount of work out of you. They need certain production numbers out of you to offset, not just offset. They can't just offset your pay. They have to profit off of you. They have to. So you have to recognize that. In some cases, when they're talking about flat rate, a lot of times it's you're forcing their hands because you aren't stepping up. And again, I don't think I can say it enough and I probably do say it enough to the point of annoyance, but you have to be really honest with yourself. You have to be very honest. Are your low production numbers, assuming they are, due to the fact of your motivation or lack of thereafter, or is the system broken? You got to be honest because if the production levels are low, it is shown over and over and over again. Shops that with low production, when they put in a flat rate system or a compensation system that has a certain level of commission based on production, guess what happens? Immediately, the next month, production goes up. You have to understand that. So if you kind of like your hourly rate, you like your hourly pay, you like 
being able to count on that paycheck, then you better grasp the concepts that you have to have a certain production level to justify it. Any of the systems don't really matter at the end of the day. If you're really good at what you do one way or another, you're going to get paid. It doesn't matter if it's going to be salary or hourly or straight commission or whatever. You're probably going to make about the same wherever you work. You may feel like you're in more control on flat rate, but there's other things, contributing factors that will upset you because anything that puts a speed bump in that road, that's hurting your paycheck. You know, service advisor is not on top of things. That's hurting your paycheck. Hopefully this uh, management, when they're talking to you, are using real numbers. Not they went to some seminar and got told that they need to have this, you know, whatever percentage, whatever numbers, not based on theirs, just generic. So therefore they're putting in flat rate because they went to this class. They don't have their real numbers. Hopefully they can present to you what this is what we have to do. And then, you know, understand that as an hourly, that the motivation now has to come from you. And it can, it absolutely can. It's not like the motivation really comes from somewhere else because now you're on flat rate. Motivation still comes from the same place. One's a little more uh, in your face. If you're in one of those shops where you're, you're hourly and the boss is talking about putting everybody on flat rate, Better step back and take a look. Like, what is your contribution to that? What is motivating your boss? What is motivating your management manager to want to do this? Are the production numbers that low? And then can everyone sit together and decide what's why is it really low? If it's because there's zero urgency, because you can count on that paycheck, that's a problem. You need to address that internally. You're just going to have to. Otherwise, management's going to solve that part for you real quick. And then on the flip side is if the system itself is very inefficient and is not fluid and is not smooth. Again, I thought we were all on the same team. Why aren't we working together to fix that? Because maybe that's the big holdup. It's not the techs aren't working hard and trying to produce. It's they can't because rattle off. There's so many reasons, right? We could be here for a lot longer rattling off every reason why. There's some sort of a restrictor played on production. You know, again, management's job is to recognize this, but, you know, for having this powwow, then everybody can work together to find them. Maybe I'm just being really overly optimistic and kumbaya ish, but. Okay. So you sent me, or you were talking about this as a while back, the prisoner's dilemma that. I had to read up because I didn't know what it was, right? But that it, you know, exists within our field, the relationship between shop owner, technician. But the biggest difference was that the shop owner and the technician can talk to each other, right? You can communicate to each other and overcome if somebody wants to look up or you can explain what the prisoner's dilemma is. But that's the big difference is that we can communicate, but it doesn't happen. Like, obviously there's, so many times there's so many examples where that's just that's not there the communication is not there to figure out like hey let's make we can make this better let's let's both put our effort in to make that this better yeah i mean just the vague concept of the prisoner's dilemma is you have two crooks that got caught you know they're working together to steal something they both got caught at the same time and they got put in two different rooms and the cops offered them different options of, you know, confessing, ratting the other one out, and it would affect their jail time or prison time. 
And what would happen most likely wouldn't be what's in the best interest of both. And they don't get to talk to each other. It's not like they get to work this out together. You know, should I plead guilty or should I, I plead innocent and they're guilty and hope that they plead guilty and say I'm innocent because then I'm going to get off scot-free. Probably not going to happen. So they don't get to work together, but there's uh, you know, an idea of what would be the best for both. And it isn't, they both get off scot-free, but they also don't serve the longest uh, term. The difference is, of course, as you just said, in our world, we, we get to talk together. We, we get to talk to each other and, and work on this together. Like, what would be the best strategy? It seems like in school, when I was a kid, and I, maybe it's just being a dumb kid and not seeing everything, it seemed like teachers and administration work together. They're one and the same almost, just different jobs. And now it seems like there is a, not just now, I mean, I'm probably 10 years ago or more. It seems like there is a big difference now. There's like this line where you have administration and teachers and they're really not on the, you know, they're kind of on the same team, but they're not. It's a battle. I mean, I can speak from experience with faculty and administration, like we're we're working against each other, uh, you you know, to try to get to the same goal. It's easy to say and talk about, but it's difficult to actually put into practice, right? I mean, same thing with even if just a relationship, you know, between a guy and girl, like the communication seems like it would just be such an easy thing just to, you know, let's talk about our problems. Let's figure it out. Well, it ain't that easy. You know, (laughs) obviously it doesn't always go that way. So life's uh, life's a little bit more complex. So we were going to have one on dating. We're going to have one now on relationships. Yeah. I don't know about you, but they'll like plead to me to be, you know, communicate, tell them how I really feel. And then when I do it, I get punished. (laughs) We'll probably end on this. And people wish we would have ended before I say this. (laughs) But I was going into my favorite restaurant establishment for lunch. And I go there a lot. Cashier was telling me about how her sister got married on Saturday. So it was a Monday, I think, or Tuesday. And she's telling me how her sister got married on Saturday and it rained. And she was wondering if that was good luck or bad luck. And I go, I'm not really sure, but Alanis Morissette would definitely call that ironic. (laughs) And it died. Like, and I'm trying, I'm not trying to imply like it was just her and I standing there talking. Like there's a group of people, both patrons and employees in the very close proximity that heard me say it. Yeah. And it just died. Like they're looking at me like, what is Alanis Morissette? Like, I don't even listen to the music and I know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. They don't all stick, unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you so very much for coming on. I hope we covered that as well as you were hoping. I, I think so. I'll send this episode to the shop owner that asked me that question because I think all of this would be really good stuff for anybody to listen to that's running a shop or technician in a shop too. All right. Thank you, Sean. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to Napa for sponsoring and thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for really making this all possible. Please don't uh, forget I'm pretty easy to reach. Uh, via social media, email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you're listening to, please, please hit that like button. So until next time, we'll talk to you later. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. 
Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.